Well, when I was up here a second ago, I didn't introduce myself. For, so for those of you that are guests with us today, uh, my name is Bill. It's my privilege to serve as the lead pastor here at the table. Just really excited to have you join us in the service today. And so if you are a guest with us for the very first time, or maybe it's your second time and you haven't done this yet, we would love to connect with you. And so um, you can text the word welcome to 817-755-1668. Um, if you didn't get that number, for those of you that are in the room, it's on a sticker somewhere close to you. Um, we'd just love to connect with you and find out how we could potentially minister to you and serve you and your family, because we are really glad that you are here. And if I didn't get a chance to meet you on your way in this morning, I would love to do that on your way out. I'll head out to the lobby when we're finished this morning. and would just love the opportunity to just introduce myself and, again, to find out a little bit more about who you are. And um, if you have questions about the church or about anything that you hear this morning, we would love to, I'd love to be able to answer those for you. Really, really excited that you are here as we kick off this Easter season. You know, a minute ago I mentioned that as Jesus rode into the city of Jerusalem on the back of the donkey, he did so pictured as the king. And when I was in college, I had the opportunity to um, go to and, and visit London, England. And so while we were there, we did all of the touristy things that you do. You know, we visited Westminster Abbey and Windsor Castle. We went to the Tower of London where the, the crown jewels are. We went to St. Paul's Cathedral, all of these different places. And all of them had to do with the royal family in some way. Where we were going were, were places that kings and queens had walked for years and years and years and while we were able to see some incredible art and artifacts in different places, one thing was true in every place that we went. There were a lot of velvet ropes. And those ropes indicated the places that we were allowed to go, and then they created a barrier keeping us from going to places that we were not allowed to go. We were allowed to see all of these things and take in all of these sites, but we had to do so from a distance. I wonder, as we are here today, how close you might describe your relationship with Jesus. Now, for some of you, it might even sound strange that that's the way that we describe our connection with Jesus in a relationship, because maybe you feel related to Jesus, but not necessarily in a relationship. I understand what I mean, because when you're related to someone, there's a connection on some level, I mean, usually ancestry or something like that, but it doesn't necessarily indicate how well you know that person. It doesn't necessarily indicate that you spend a lot of time with that person, but when you are in a relationship with someone, there is an active component to it. Like you're spending time together. You're, you're talking to each other, things like that. That's what happens when you're in a relationship. Now, I have to be honest and tell you, there have been times in my life where I have felt really close in my relationship with Jesus. But yet at the same time, there have been many times where I have felt like there was some distance. Kind of like I was stuck behind the velvet ropes with that barrier that said, you cannot go any further. But yet at the same time, in those moments, and I don't know if you've felt this way too, maybe... 
Like there is a longing for more. There's a longing for a deeper connection. There's, there's longing to be in a relationship with Jesus, knowing that it is in his presence that something different happens to me. And, and it can't happen as I'm stuck behind those velvet ropes. And so today, what I want to talk about for a few minutes is the story of a woman who recognized because of who Jesus was and what he had done that she couldn't just keep her distance. She had to get close in her desire to worship him. The story of the sinful woman who anointed Jesus' feet with oil found in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. So if you have a Bible with you, I'd invite you to turn there. Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. If you don't have a Bible with you, it will be on the screen as I read it here in just a second. Um, or if you are a version Bible app user, you can find your way to our live event and follow along there. The scripture is listed as well as a place to keep notes, some questions for reflection, different things like that are there. Before I read this passage, let me pray and just ask God to speak to our hearts this morning. So pray with me. Heavenly Father, as we spend some time in your word, I pray that through the work of your Holy Spirit within us, that you would help us to see how we can draw close to you. Father, I pray that we wouldn't be distracted by anything else that goes on around us, but that we would be able to hear from you because somewhere deep down inside of us is a desire to be connected to you. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to see how we can do that and why we can do that as we spend time in your word today. Speak through me. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36, it says this. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table at the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who was touching him, for she's a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Well, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 50 denarii, the other, one owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you've judged rightly. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. Because he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to this woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. To me, this event is interesting on a number of levels. It's a Pharisee that invites Jesus over 
to his house for dinner. And Jesus often had run-ins with Pharisees. They were the ones who did everything in the right way. They followed the law to a T. They, they did the right things in the right way, at the right time, all the time. They were the ones who understood proper decorum. I don't know if it was this way where you went to school, but I went to a, a Christian college, a Christian university, a small Christian university. And before our graduation, we had a graduation rehearsal. Primarily the purpose of this rehearsal was to make sure that we were in the right place at the right time so that we were on the stage when our name was called and not somewhere else. But yet at the same time, when we were finished with this practice, our senior class was gathered together and we received a long lecture about proper decorum. See, when our friends walked across the stage, we weren't supposed to say anything or yell when they went across when we were on stage, we weren't supposed to jump up and down or, or do anything. There were to be no messages on our caps like a lot of people do now. Because there was a proper way to do things. And we were supposed to do things the right way. Not at all drawing undue attention to ourselves. And I look back on that and I wonder if the person who was in charge of our graduation might have been related to a Pharisee at some point. Because that's how they behave. There was a right way to do things and a wrong thing, way to do things. You were to be doing the right things at the right times and be around the right people all of the time because, after all, you had a reputation to uphold. Proper decorum. The dinner that Jesus attended that night, it was not uncommon. They often had dinners with a rabbi as the special guest. In this case, Jesus was that rabbi. And so when you had a rabbi over to dinner, typically it would be found in a larger room and gathered around the table would be invited guests. And then the room was large enough that you could have a small audience gathered around outside, on the outside wall, lining the wall, to listen to the conversation that took place. If you were one of the invited guests who sat around the table, it was a highly honorable thing, but it was a big deal to just even be inside the room where the conversation was happening. I can't imagine what it was like for that woman. She's described as being a sinner, which could mean a lot of different things. Tax collectors and other people whose occupations made them ceremonially unclean were lumped into this category of sinners, and so that meant that they weren't able to participate in religious services. Likely, because of what we read about this woman, it was about her moral character. And so we don't necessarily read this, but it likely, because of what happened that day, she had encountered Jesus before. Don't know when, don't know where, but likely, you know, maybe she was in a crowd when Jesus taught one day. But because of who she understood Jesus to be and the, the message of forgiveness and hope that had offered to her, that he was offering to her, it, it had changed her life, and she wanted to show Jesus just how much she appreciated what he had done. And so when she heard that Jesus was the honored guest at Simon's home, she was going to do everything she could to get inside that room. 
So she got in line. Clasped tightly in her hand was an alabaster jar of ointments, incredibly expensive, people estimating it to be a year's worth of wages for the average worker. And trying not to look too conspicuous as she entered the room, she took in the scene looking at where Jesus was located around the table. She made her way around the room to where he was. And there with her heart beating out of her chest, I mean, it was almost like an out-of-body experience. She snuck underneath the velvet rope and immediately opened that jar of ointment and poured it on Jesus' feet and began to wipe his feet with her hair. And it created quite a scene. It wasn't like anybody would have missed what she was doing. Did you notice the detail, though? It says that Simon said to himself, If Jesus were really a prophet, he would have known what kind of woman that was. He would have known that she was a sinner. In other words, he was saying if Jesus were really a prophet, he would have known who she was, what kind of woman she was, and he would have never let somebody like that do something like this to him because there is such a thing as proper decorum, and this is not it. So understanding what was happening in Simon's mind, Jesus said, hey, Simon, let me tell you a story. Story of two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, which was well over a year's worth of wages. The other 50, which is still a large sum of money. Jesus said the money lender canceled both of those debts, and he asked a question. He said, Who is going to love more? And of course the answer is the one who had been forgiven more because he who has been forgiven little loves little and he who has been forgiven much loves much. And here's the question for each of us to ask ourselves today. It's a question that should challenge us today. How much do you love? How much do you love? Maybe for every one of us who is in the room today and even those who are watching online, maybe every one of us would say on some level we love Jesus. Or at least, at the very least, we have an affinity towards him in some way. But likely for all of us, we don't really know exactly how to measure the amount of that love. Because love for a lot of us is an emotion. It's a feeling. And so when we love someone or something more, it means that we have a stronger sense of emotion towards that person. But Jesus, when he was talking about love, he used a different standard of measurement. Because Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 14 and verse 15, he said, If you love me, you will obey me. And so it's not that 
loving Jesus has nothing to do with emotion. It has something to do with emotion, but it's not just found in the things that we say or not just in how we feel or how strongly we feel, but to love is to obey. And so now let me ask you the question again, how much do you really love? Something that should be absolutely shocking as we look at the story of the sinful woman is the extravagant waste that she went to. Because she poured out in a matter of seconds an alabaster jar of oil, which in our day would cost something like $80,000. And so anybody that would waste $80,000 in a matter of seconds should, to us, be ridiculous. But yet she's the hero of the story. She did the right thing in light of who Jesus is and what he had done for her. So how much do you love? Romans 12.1, the Apostle Paul says this, I encourage you, encourage you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy or in light of all that God has accomplished for us in Jesus, I urge you to do this, to offer your bodies or offer all that you are and all that you have as a living sacrifice. This is the only thing that makes sense as an act of worship. What Paul was saying is, in light of all that God has accomplished for us in Christ, the only thing that makes sense is to offer everything that we have to be a reflection of all that he is. See, we too, those of us who placed our trust in Jesus, we are also called to make an extravagant waste. We are to lay down everything that we have so it is a reflection of all that he is. To love is to obey, and to love is to worship. So again, let me ask the question, how much do you love? See, worship is far more than just singing. It's more than coming to church. But true worship is to be a reflection of who God is and the character of God in everything that we do. It reaches Every part of us. To love is to obey and to love is to worship. And to worship is to be an accurate reflection of who God is in everything that we do. And so again, how much do you love? Is your character reflecting the character of Jesus in everything that you do? Are you always gentle and good and kind? Are you gracious and loving? Is the character of Jesus reflected in your life in everything that you do? How much do you really love? As you look at how you treat people, do you treat people and view people the way that Jesus viewed and treated all people? Jesus calls those of us who are his followers to love our enemies. See, what I find is that in our day where everything is politicized and polarized, it's really easy for me to identify who your enemies are. 
You know how I know? They're often pointed out on social media. Jesus did not say, all you have to do is love people who look like you do, who think like you do, who see the world like you do. Jesus said, hey, let's be different. Let's love those who are even our enemies, those who see the world drastically different than we do. How do you view and treat all people, even those who are different than you are? How much do you love? To accurately reflect the character of Jesus in everything that we do, it reaches every part of us, and that even includes our emotions. And so I would ask you this, do your emotions line up with the truth that you know that Jesus is more than enough for you? Or are you plagued with anxiety or jealousy? How much do you love? Maybe the reason that we don't love more is because we don't truly understand just how much we have been forgiven. To help Simon understand what was happening that day, he told that story. Jesus told the story of the money lender and the two debtors. One, again, who owed 500 denarii, was over a year's worth of wages. The other was 50. And Jesus, as he told the story, he said, both debts had been canceled, and he asked the question, who is going to love more? And of course the answer is, the one who had been forgiven more is of course going to love more. And as we look at the story, it's very clear that as Jesus was telling that, the one who owed 500 denarii was in reference to the sinful woman. That's why she did what she did. But that, in, the, in that story that Jesus told, the person who also owed 500 denarii represented someone else too. And Simon didn't understand it. And we may not understand it either. Because not only did it represent that sinful woman, but it represented Simon, the Pharisee, who did everything right all of the time. And as we understand the significance of that story, it represents every single one of us too. Because all of us had a debt that we could not pay. See, the reality is that regardless of our sin, it all leaves us in the same place. It would be really easy to look at this event and think, well, the only way to love more is to be forgiven more. So in other words, like to be forgiven much, I have to do a lot of bad things. But that's not the case. All we have to do is understand how bad off we truly are apart from Christ. It's not about how bad are the things that you do, but how bad off you are because of Jesus. The, re- the reality is our sin, regardless of how bad it is, it leaves us in the same place. One might say, I've done a lot of really, really bad things on the scale of bad things. Somebody else would say, I haven't done a lot of bad things. Or, or maybe they've, only, they've done things that are far more palatable to talk about, things like the sin of pride, or the sin of seeking the approval of men. Those are things that we like to talk about, not the really bad things that we don't like to talk about. But regardless of the severity of that sin, we're in the same place, lost and without hope. 
There's nothing that we could ever do to have a relationship with God. And we desperately needed someone to come and do something for us so that our sins could be forgiven. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He came and died on the cross for our sin, bearing a punishment that was meant for us so that we could be brought into a relationship with God that lasts forever. Maybe the reason that we don't love more is because we don't understand truly how much we have been forgiven. See, I want you to understand that because of the work of Jesus for us, we have been forgiven freely, fully, and forever. To be forgiven freely means that we didn't deserve it. We would never deserve it. There wasn't anything that we could ever do to deserve the forgiveness, but it has been offered to us by the goodness and graciousness of God. It is given to us freely. We've been forgiven freely. We've been forgiven fully. And what that means is that we have been fully forgiven Everything that we have ever done, the moment that we place our faith and trust in Jesus, every bad thought that we've ever had, wrong belief, wrong attitude, everything has been fully forgiven. It's not, hey, we'll get you part of the way there and then you need to finish the process. No, we have been fully forgiven. We've been freely forgiven. We have been fully forgiven and we have been forgiven forever, meaning that our sin will never be brought up and held against us again. That day, that sinful woman understood the reality of the forgiveness that Jesus had offered to her. She understood that she had been forgiven freely, fully, and forever. And so though that barrier was there, she saw it not as something that would keep her from Jesus, but something that she would bust through to get to Jesus because she wanted to worship him and honor him for all that he had done because she knew that she had been forgiven freely, fully, and forever. And there may be times in our lives where we feel a distance in our relationship. Where we feel like we have to stand behind the velvet rope and just wave at a distance. But I want you to know, that's just a man-made barrier that's there. That's not real. We place that on ourselves because we have been forgiven freely, fully, and forever. And Jesus wants us to rush into his presence because it's with him that our lives are changed. And it's all because of the work of Jesus on the cross. Freely, fully, and forever forgiven. We've got something that we're going to open this afternoon. You might have walked in this morning and seen the pallets kind of stacked up out there and wondered what that was about. This afternoon we are going to open an art exhibit on the Stations of the Cross. And the Stations of the Cross are intended to remind us of the pain and the suffering and the sacrifice of Jesus in the last hours of his life. So starting this afternoon, and then throughout this Holy Week, the Passion Week, we invite you to come up and spend some time contemplating the suffering of Jesus on our behalf. There are 12 stations that are out there. Um, when you come, we'll have an introductory sign. It's got a QR code, so you scan the code, and it'll take you to 
um, a place on our website that will explain the, the stations and give you some uh, scripture prompts, some prayer prompts, and, and, and things like that. And so we invite you to come and remember the sacrifice of Jesus and the significance of what he did for us when he laid down his life so that we could be forgiven freely, fully, and forever. And I want you to know, if you're here today and you've never made the decision to trust Jesus as your Savior, he is standing here saying, just say yes. Because he offers that forgiveness to all of us. Regardless of what we've done, he wants to forgive us freely, fully, and forever. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you are a good and gracious and loving God who, in spite of our sin, you sent your one and only Son, Jesus, who on that Palm Sunday, as we refer to it now, rode in the city of Jerusalem on the back of a donkey as the conquering king, ready to take his place on the throne. And he did that, but he did that through laying down his life for us so that we could be forgiven freely, fully, and forever. And so, Father, for those of us who have made that decision to place our trust in Jesus, may we never take his sacrifice for granted. But during this Passion Week, as we remember the sacrifice of Jesus and we'll gather together next Sunday and celebrate his resurrection and the hope that we have because of it, Father, may we remember the suffering that he went through for us so that it would prompt us to continue to follow hard after you in everything that we do. May we draw close to you because we recognize it is in your presence that our lives are changed. Thanks for the forgiveness that we have because of the work of Jesus. We are forgiven freely, fully, and forever. And because of that, we give you praise. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray.